0: Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to HarvestWarrensburg.com. Well, last week, Pastor Misty talked to us about trust, that there is no trust outside of risk. That by necessity, if we are going to trust, there has to be a risk. In fact, Misty brought that to us this, this last week. She, she brought to us that question as she was pondering that before the Lord, asking all of the staff, is there any scenario that you can think of in life in any category whereby you can have trust and, and then not have the associated risk? And, and our answer was no. No, by nature of the fact that we're having to trust, it means I don't have what I'm trusting for which means I'm taking a step. It means I'm stepping out. I'm taking a risk. Now, if you're like me, I, I, just, I like illustrations that help me put all of the pieces together with these kinds of concepts. I, I, like, I like for somebody to paint a picture for me that's relatable, that I can understand, that I can go, okay, I got that, I can apply that. And I feel like with the topic of finances, there's nothing quite li- excuse me, <laughs> let the cat out of the bag, you know, little, there you go, it's a little foreshadowing for you. You know, with the topic of trust, rather, there's nothing like finances, there's nothing like our money to illustrate the point. And, and it, it's largely because we can all relate to it, because probably we've all fretted about it at some point in our life, is it just me? Okay, just, just making sure at some point in your history with God, probably you've had a, an opportunity where you were like, well, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to come through in this particular area. Uh, we all need it. We all need resources, financial. We need the green stuff. Let's just call it what it is. You know, we need it to keep the lights on. It's what we put food on our table. The bartering system, you know, is there in some circles, largely not here. Right? I, I don't know that the electric co-op is going to accept a bartering uh, contract. You know, be like, hey, uh, you, what do you got? You got some mowing some I can do? No, probably they just want your money, right? Like, so w- we can relate to it. We can, we can understand. And, and in the kingdom, there's this concept called tithe. Let me relate the concept of trust to that which we call tithe. How many of you know what a tithe is? Yeah, you know, A tithe is, is like the giving of our first fruits. It's a first fruits offering to God. It comes right off the top, 10% of the earnings that I, that I take in. Our, our big mistake is that we believe often our earnings are ours. This is where we get all entangled. It's like, no, this is my money. Well, no, it's not. In fact, the the 10%, the the first fruits offering that we give to God actually is meant to demonstrate that it is not, in fact, my money. It's all His. And we're grateful for the 90 he allows us to operate in. But in the natural, in the natural, we often have people, especially as they're stepping into this reality, struggle because to take 10% off the top of my money, means I have 10% less to operate off of than I had before I had, right? So you're taking a chunk away, and I needed every penny of that to make the bills that I currently have, so how in the world do you expect me to meet my expenses? You know, you want me to take care of my family, but how am I supposed to do that on less? This doesn't make any logical sense. How in the world am I supposed to how am I supposed to navigate that every single month that goes by? I need every penny, largely, if you're like most Americans, you need more than the pennies you're bringing in to make it all work and make ends meet. How am I supposed to do with less? It just doesn't make logical sense. But then you add the word of God to the equation. And in the word of God, we find out that that this is the area that God says, test me in this. Now, you understand there's no other area where the Bible says, yeah, you can test God. In fact, it says quite the opposite, that we're called not to test him. But in this area, God's so passionate about it that he says, let me just open this opportunity up for you. I know that you need this. I know that it's going to be a struggle to trust me in this area. So test me in this and see upon your obedience to give your tithe. Trust me in this and see if I won't rebuke the devourer. So in other words, the enemy is out to devour your financial resources. See if I won't rebuke the devourer on your behalf and release a blessing from heaven over your life. The moment that we add the scripture to the concept of tithing, it becomes not just a concept, but an issue of trust. Will we trust that God is who he says he is? Will we trust that God's going to show up as he says he's going to do? Are you really going to rebuke the devourer? Are you really going to release a blessing to me? Is that actually going to happen? Now, because the scripture is inserted, it moves out of a concept and into the spirit realm where I have to step out and actually trust him to see something happen. Does this, does this make any sense as a point of illustration? We have to begin to build a history with God with these kinds of things. We have to begin to step out onto the waters uh, through the numerous opportunities that He gives us and begin to build history of trust with Him. You know, we can, we can build our faith. There's numerous ways that we can build our faith, you know, to believe God for the things that He says He's going to do. We can, you know, we use testimonies. You know, a, a testimony in the kingdom of God is that it's the, it's the testimony of what God did in someone else's life is actually testifying to you what he wants to do in your life. And so you, you have instances, and we'll just keep with the tithe train. You know, we have instances where we see people around us who have been there and done that. I'm one of those. You know, where in the early days, we had to learn to trust God with less and to see whether he was going to show up and honor his word or not. I, I remember the testimony of my brother and sister-in-law. He in respect to this topic, he, uh, they, they struggled when they were newly married. I mean, how many of you were just filthy rich when you first got married, right? And so, and nobody raised their hand to say, and it's like, it still not that way. But we were even less that way when we got married, probably, when we were all young, at least if you were as young as I was. You know, we didn't have three nickels to rub together, nor did they. And in this story, their vehicle kept breaking down. I think they used to drive a Saturn, which now we know why it was breaking down, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it, it just is what it is you know and and their money that they would have had the extra money the resources that they would have had in their budget was devoured by this piece of garbage that they were driving you know and every month something was wrong another tire would blow every every month it, you know it needed an alternator and it needed this it was doing what we would always say like nickel and diming them right And so he says to her, I would tithe if I had money left over, but I don't have any money left over because this car continues to devour it. Notice the language. Something's devouring their resources, right? His wife says, maybe the reason our resources are being devoured is because we're not being obedient on the front end to trust God. And he says, okay, all right, all right. And in an effort to spite her, he says, next month we'll tithe. And in his heart of hearts, he says, You'll see. You'll see what's going to happen. You know, that car is going to blow up again like it has for the last six months on the dime. Boom, 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 boom. You know, the last six months, it's been consistent. We have an established precedent. Do you just wait and see? And when we are sitting here wanting and not being able to put bread on the table, then, you know, we'll be able to circle back to my way of doing things. And they tithe off the first fruits of their income that next month, and the car didn't blow up. Well, that was a, an anomaly. Wow, we made it through a month, but that was weird. That, you know, it's going to happen next month, though. And three months went by, and the car still didn't blow up. You know, Now many years have gone by. They're financial peace counselors, and they, you know, they're completely debt-free, and they not only tithe but give extravagantly to the kingdom of God. They've just made it a full circle switch. But we can take testimonies like that, and we can kind of go, God, you did it for them, you'll do it again for me. And it can build our faith. We can look at the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and I would encourage you to start there. If you're not reading your Word, you got to get into your Word. That's how you know what God said He's going to do. How do you have faith for anything? How could you trust God if you don't know what He said? I'm just going to step right off this stage, and you're going to catch me. Does the Word say that? If you don't know that it says that, you need to get into it and figure it out. Right? That's actually where the pathway starts. But I want to submit to you that you will never build trust unless you actually take risk. In James, it tells us that faith without works is dead. I think this is what he's alluding to. It's like, I have faith. I believe God. Now you actually have to demonstrate that belief. I believe that God's a provider and he's going to take care of me, but we can't afford to tithe. No, then you don't believe God because there's no subsequent step. You're not trusting God. In him. And it's not just in finances. Finances just happen to be a great illustration to us because we can all relate to that. But God is calling you to develop this kind of history with him, this trust with him across the board in every area of your life. Not just your your financial resources, but in your relationship. Does does anybody have a, a strained relationship that you're like, this Nebuchadnezzar can never come to Jesus? Like, do you have people, do you have prodigals that are out there in your life that you're like, yeah, I know that God did some cool stuff in the Bible, but this one, he can't save. Like, he's inviting us everywhere in our life, like unilaterally to kind of go, you're the God of the impossible, and I believe you to, to be who you said you're going like, to be and to do what you said you're going to do. I believe on you, and I'm going to take a step. I'm going to step out on the water. I'm going to trust you with my life. The Bible gives us numerous testimonies in story form of the lives of those in in, in history captured throughout the history of Israel and numerous other places as far as that goes. We want to take a look at that out of Genesis chapter 26, the story of Isaac. As he jumps into his own trust journey with God. Before I say that, why don't I suggest this really quick, just to give you some preface. Trusting God sounds painful. <laughs> would you agree? <laughs> like, yeah, if you're Peter and you're in the boat and, and Jesus says, come, like, and everything on the inside of you goes, that's impossible. Right? Like, How many of you would just rather stay in the boat? Like, I, You know, if I step over that, by the way, not a great swimmer, you know, uh, last I checked, this is shark week. <laughs> right? Like, it, it, but so, so why? So why, why step out into this journey with God? Why is God calling us out on the waters? Why, why does he call us to trust him? Why do I have to establish that, that history with God? And I would say this, because God knows what's best for your life. God knows what's best for your life. And, and God is, he's never calling you out onto the water so that you'll sink. He's never calling you out into the wilderness so that he'll kill you. It, it, God is only ever actually inviting you in a process that is for your benefit, not for your detriment. And so we're like, that's painful. And he's like, yeah, and there's no gain without a little pain because he's calling us to partner with him to do what's hard, to do what's impossible, to do what doesn't make sense with our natural minds in many cases. Why in the world would I accept this job, God, over this job? You know, when I accepted this pastorate, I was offered the vice president of youth development in United Way, making more money with better benefits than I had ever experienced in my life, than anybody, in fact, that I know experience up to that point in my immediate circle. It was a great job, suit and tie every day, which sounded just uptown to me. That sounded like success. At the same time, the door came open to hear. and it was, a, it was a really lucrative opportunity at $12,000 a year. <laughs> Why would you take the lesser How many of you know, sometimes God calls you to step into the lesser because he knows that there's a promotion in there. He knows that, that once you get past the first steps, that the latter is going to be way better than the former, that, that, that this is, in fact, what he said to me was, he said, I'll honor both. You can do whatever you want to do. He goes, but one's your calling. I thought, hmm, feed my family, buy a Corvette. I like those, in case you didn't know. <laughs> You know, or suffer impoverished and live by faith in where again? Warrensburg? (laughs) That's an obvious, that's an obvious choice. Here we are 12 years later. (laughs) You know, sometimes God calls you to take the lesser. Sometimes God calls you to step out into the uncomfortable because he knows the beginning from the end. And, and that's kind of the lesson that we're going to press into today. We can get so confused about the will of God, thinking that the will of God is always that we remain comfortable. Well, the, the, the will of God was pretty obvious in that case, right? I mean, he's called me to take care of my family. Like this one is, bam, hello, like suit and tie, importance, respect, great career path, you know, increase, lots of money right now. But the calling of God, the will of God, oftentimes isn't the cushy. Sometimes it's hard. And we can't get that messed up in our minds because we'll miss it. You'll see that in this story. Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. It says, Now there was a famine in the land. This is Isaac, the son of Abraham, son of promise you know he's beginning to step out on his own faith journey as he develops this very thing that we're talking about with God. It says uh, this was there's a famine in the land besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to the to Abimelech, excuse me. Yeah, Abimelech king of the Philistines. Now, you can see the map. That's amazing, right? Oh, there it is. You can kind of see the arrow. I, are you visual? I'm visual. I like to see this stuff. Like sometimes I just cut and paste maps and, like, and actually tape them into my Bible so that I can see what they're talking about. You know? So you can actually see Gerar is right there. You can kind of see where Israel is as it is in reference to Egypt. And the reason I mention that is because Gerar apparently was the pathway to get to Egypt. And what we find as this story begins to unfold is that there was a famine on the land and Isaac was actually fleeing Israel, the land of Ploma, promise, to go into Egypt, the land apparently of plenty. Verse 2. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I will tell you. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. Now, at this point in his journey, Isaac is married and he's got a couple of children. (laughs) Now, I don't know how you think, but when I was single, I'm like, I will scale this mountain. I will ride, I still ride dirt, <coughs> I'll scratch that one. I'll do fast and dangerous things, still do that. All right, so better examples. You know, you, like you have faith to do anything. It doesn't really matter because the truth is like if I'm just flying solo, if I miss a meal, eh, what, no big deal. Like, it's like, you're more inclined to take risks, to step out because you only are responsible for you, add a wife and children? Like, how many of you, something switched in your brains when you added a wife and children to the mix? So this is not just for guys, but for, for ladies as well. You know, and you, you move from this place of carefree to careful, and, and all of a sudden you're like, dang, I guess I better get, a, get my head screwed on right and get a real job and a haircut. <laughs> right? I got to sell the Camaro, you know, it's time for a minivan, right? Like there's a, there's a, sh- there's a, there's a shift that happens, and, and at this point in the story, you know, I, Isaac is responsible for somebody other than himself, and, and he's stuck in this, in this land of promise, which by the way, looked an awful lot like a wasteland. He's stuck in a famine, and he's like, you know what, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, after all, God, you called me to provide for my family, Right? Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm just going to head down through Gerard to Egypt uh, because the bigger city has more jobs, more resources. They've got deeper pockets. They have great subsidy programs and entitlement programs. and We're going to be able to weather the storm better from Egypt than what we would be able to if I was going to if I was gonna stay here uh, in Israel. You know, and this just makes sense until God says, And I could just imagine the dialogue. I could imagine what was stirring in his heart in that moment as he's like, look, man, I got kids to feed. I got bills to pay. I got, you know, and, like, and, and, and we're in this multifaceted, extended family community, so I got grandma to deal with, and I got that crazy Uncle Joe. Yeah, that guy hadn't got a job in eight months. I got to pay for that bum. And I, right, I'm sure he's thinking of the whole deal, going, look, I, that doesn't make any sense, God. Hey, it, I could stay here in the, wasting wilderness called land of promise and have pain and suffer and not be able to provide for my family. But you did say provide for my family. So it makes sense in the natural that I go over here. Now think about this as it relates to your ability to hear God's voice. I know we're reading this and it's like God just shows up and you know, there's, you know, I don't know, like he's the size of a mountain. He's like, go this way and walk in this. But I just know from my own experience that God's never done that to me. I've never had God show up the size of a mountain and go, here's the way, walk in it. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Instead, what I usually hear is a little sense, a little nuance. Did you hear that prophetic word? I was looking back over my words, and eight years ago, it said this. I kind of feel a little stirring about something. Do you hear what that preacher said on Sunday? It feels kind of like God's talking to me. And I thought I heard something, maybe, but it was maybe it was me. I'm shaking it off. It feels kind of weird because it's really stupid to stay in the land of famine and not go to Egypt. Am I the only one that hears God so subtly? (laughs) And so when God's speaking to you in the way that he often speaks through circumstances and a subtle whisper and a sense and a, a, a random word over there, and we basically would say it's like through puzzle pieces. And your family's on the line and you feel like everything's on the line. It doesn't just make any sense. Like, what would you do? Are you going to trust the word of the Lord? Are you going to trust the voice of God? Are you going to trust your history with God? are you going to just do the thing that makes sense? Go to Egypt. Get a job. (laughs) Isaac, of course, trusts the Lord. I hope that that would be your answer as well. What strikes me, though, and I've alluded to it already, is and in essence, God was saying, no, don't go to the cushy city. Stay in the famine. <laughs> now, I, it seems like sometimes in charismatic circles, we're like, hey, God, if God is saying stay in the famine, then everything's going to be amazing. And it's just going to be supernatural, and I'm not going to experience any problems or you know, all that dust that's affecting everybody else not going to affect me. Right? I I just mm, haven't experienced that in quite that same way in in my life. So when God is saying, no, 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 I don't want you to go to cushy Egypt, where it makes sense in the natural, I'm calling you to stay here in the famine. He's saying, I'm calling you to stay here where it's hard. Because this is the land of promise. This is where your promise is. It's not out there. It doesn't make sense to bail off the back of the Jeep for those of you who were with us last week. It doesn't make sense for you to assess it in your own natural mind and do what's logical for you and to take your life into your own hands and to make the right decision. God was calling them to stay in a hard place. It was inevitable that in this hard place they were going to see people lose their lives. People who couldn't feed their kids. They were going to see people who couldn't get a job. They were going to see some of their neighbors become homeless because the bank comes and repossesses their house. All right? they, they, were going to, they were going to see people who would lose their job because the bank repossessed their car and they couldn't get to work that day, right? It was going to be difficult to put food on the table because there wasn't food. They were in a famine, and yet this was the place that God was calling him to stay and stick it out. Stay and stick it out here and trust me to do something supernatural in your life. But here's my point. Sometimes we get confused and we believe that God's provision is Egypt. (laughs) We're like, it just makes sense. Egypt is like, seriously, I've already got I've got a guy on the hook already. He's already offered me a job. It's like it just it just makes sense to flee from the promise. This is really hard. And to go into Egypt, like where there's actual job, like money, green stuff, where I can. Surely that's your provision for me, God. Like, surely that makes sense. And and I guess I wanna submit to you that God's provision isn't always the cushy, easy one. Sometimes God's provision doesn't look like sending you to Egypt where it's comfortable. Sometimes God's provision is go into the land of famine, and and I'm gonna give you a bigger plow. I'm gonna give you a better sword. I'm gonna give you endurance. And I'm gonna build tenacity in you. And we're like, I just, I wonder how many times, I wonder how many times in our life we've been in this place and we say something like this to God Unless you bring me to Egypt, you are not the God that provides as you say in your word. We fixed our gaze on a certain set of circumstances, missing all the while that the provision God was sending wasn't the cush, but was the tool that I needed to survive the season. We can't get that confused because sometimes the road in the pursuit of our promise is a difficult road. In fact, I would suggest to you that if God has called you to do anything of any significance, that it will be difficult. Why? Because you need to learn the lessons along that pathway for you to be successful when you get there. Otherwise, the there will kill you. Israel kind of many years after this story got to experience this themselves. You remember they were 400 years in Egypt as slaves. They, you know, the the Lord does some significant miracles in their life to see them pulled out of slavery and out of Egypt. And then we find them in this place called the wilderness. Uh, not unlike what we're experiencing here with Isaac and the famine, right? They find themselves in the place of wilderness, and in the place of wilderness, they make this comment: "It was better for us to stay in Egypt than to come out here in the wilderness and to be killed by God. Like what? It was better to be in the cushy place than it is to be on the hard road to my destiny. And the closer they got to 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 the destiny, to the to the promise." The more they began to realize that the promise wasn't cush at all, the promise was going to be difficult. Like, did you see the giants in the land? And I just wonder, I wonder in our lives, I wonder how many of us are out in the desert place and we're like, this stinks. And did you see the giants in the land? And we would prefer to go 40 in the wilderness than to face the giants and the storm route to our destiny, to our promise. I just wonder how many people would go, I'm not doing that. That's hard. See, sometimes the pathway, in fact, I would say much of the time, the pathway to the promise is a difficult pathway. And the promised land itself is a difficult place. It's not just all cush. See, because once you get into the place, then you're like, Hey man, this is great! Wow, this is a beautiful place. God said it's a land flown with milk and honey. Where, where's the, Where's the milk and honey? Oh, you know you gotta actually work. Oh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go get yourself a cow and like, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta hit like, you know, that's five a.m. for the rest of your life. Or else the milk goes dry. You know that right? Like you gotta, you just, you gotta be like, so the, you know, you want the land flown with milk, uh, you gotta, you gotta partner with God to see that come forth. You, but you, you, said, you said there was honey here, and honeys come from bees. And my father-in-law is a bee farmer. You know, he wears an entire getup to go out there and to deal with those bees. You know, the last time I was out there with my beautiful wife, they thought that she was as hot as I think she is. <laughs> and she was standing at a distance because, you know, when you're at a distance, why, why would you need all that bee suit business? And they stung her right smack in the middle of the forehead. Best part of the story is once they do that, it releases a scent and all their other sisters start coming after you because you're a threat. So what, 25 of them chased you into the truck? Yeah, the land of promise has some work. The land of promise has some pain. We can't get confused in this and thinking, oh, well, it's gotta be God's will to go to Egypt because that's where the obvious provision is. That's where the, no, it... You've got the sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God, and being led by the Spirit of God, sometimes He's going to take you an alternate route. And what you don't understand at the time is that the fastest route from point A to point B is through the storm. That's what we miss. We're like, nope, I'm going to go A to Z and L and yeah, yeah. Like, no, that's forty years. The fastest route for me to enter into my destiny is through that wilderness. (laughs) It's not bypassing it to go to cushy Egypt. Is this making sense this morning? In regard to setting our eyes on a certain outcome rather than fixing our gaze on the author and finish of our faith, When things don't turn out exactly the way that we think they're supposed to, then we often misjudge God in His character. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier, where we're like, unless you take me to Egypt, you're not the provider. Well, He's not taking you to Egypt. <laughs> and then we walk away going, God didn't provide. He said He's going to provide. And now we spiral out. I want to read this because I have it noted. Misapplied faith derails future opportunities. It's misapplied because we're applying our faith to a specific outcome rather than the God who brings about the outcomes in our life. And it's a missed opportunity because if I've attached my faith to a specific outcome and that wasn't God's idea, and I believe that God didn't show up, then I sure as heck aren't going to step out of the boat the next time. So you're missing future opportunities. And Back to our story. Isaac, obviously, he, he obeys. He does stay in the land of famine, even though it doesn't make sense. And he began to create or step into the opportunity that he had in front of him, you know, to trust God for the promise that God was laying out, even though it looked hard in the middle. And I want to submit to you we've got to be able to, to, well, come to a higher level of thinking. Do you remember that from a few weeks ago? God's calling us to begin to, to view life from his view, not from ours. We can get lost in the weeds. Our perspective can get wrong. Like we've got to go a little bit higher. We've got to see things as, as God sees them. And, and if you're on the, excuse me, if you're on, in the boat and God said that you're going to go to the other side, but then the hurricane shows up in between, You've got to be able to like even in the moment we we've, we've got to we've got to come to a higher level of thinking instead of like going into anxiety and fear and like oh my gosh what are we going to do i don't think the promise is going to come true jesus was lying to me like <laughs> he didn't say anything about this hurricane coming after me and i'm worrying cuz worry has always allowed us to you know be successful All right said no one ever Worry never gives us good fruit ever in our lives, but for whatever reason, this is our default, usually, worry and fear and then grumbling and complaining and it wrecks the relationships that are around me because now I'm grumpy and I'm short with my kids because I'm threatened and stewing about stuff and my stress level goes through the roof and the number one killer in America is stress. That has pretty good fruit, I'm told. Death. We've got to be able to get to a point where we go, holy smokes, that's a hurricane on the water. Uh, What did God say? That's a pretty good first place to start. Uh, Jesus said, uh, come to the other side. All right, okay, so we've got a word of the Lord. God said that we're going to make it to the other side. Okay, great. And that's a really big hurricane. I I wonder what God's going to do about that. See, I don't need to fret about, oh my gosh, did we bring our, the right ropes, and the, the, to the, are the sails going to withstand the hurricane, and what do I do? I don't even know what to do. We don't even have food and provisions, and what if we're marooned? And nah, 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 nah. I don't have to even go into that. I have to go, wow, that's a really big situation, and I don't have the answers for that. It's going to be cool to see what God does. So we so believe that God's going to show up that it, and we have anticipation for what he's going to do that we can actually move into a place of, I guess I could say, a joyous anticipation. I can actually move into a place where I go, oh wow, several years ago we had Mark Hendrickson come and speak to us and he coined this phrase, God's will is God's bill. God said you're going to make it to the other side. God's going to figure out how to get you to the other side. I don't have to worry about that. I just have to participate with him in the in-between. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to try to figure it out on my own. I don't I don't have to stress out about it. I don't have to uh, get more bald in the middle of it. I said to go, wow, it's gonna be amazing to see what God does. You know we call this hope? Hope is the joyful expectation of good. That's biblical hope. It's the joyful expectation of good. God said, I'm going to go to the other side. Wow, I am joyfully anticipating that he's going to show up and he's going to do something about this, and I've got an opportunity now to step out on the waters with him and trust him and build history with him as we make it to the other side. We have to shift out of anxiety and fear and into prayer and presence. What do I mean by that? I mean we have to retrain the way that we think. And instead of our first reaction being fear and anxiety, and I'm trying to work it out myself, uh, if I'm doing that, then I'm a doer, or I'm a jumper, we learned last week. Not a truster. I have to shift from that to to prayer and and presence. What what do I mean by that? I mean, I'm tempted to be anxious about what I'm seeing in front of me, but I have a word and I know that God's going to show up. So I'm actually going to come in to thanksgiving because that's how I come into his presence. I come into his gates with thanksgiving, right? Into his courts with praise. That's the second part. I'm going to enter into thanksgiving. I'm going to enter into worship. I'm going to worship God. I'm like, look at the hurricane coming. My boat's being tossed to and fro. Sit your butt down. Sit down on the boat and raise your hands. It's time to worship. We move from anxiety and fear to presence and... Did I say prayer? Presence and worship? Presence and prayer? Whatever I said earlier. That's Rewind the tape. You know, big. I get into his presence and in that place when I'm going, that's a big storm and I'm sitting on the boat now and worshiping. Thank you, God. Thank you for the history that I've gotten in you. Thank you for the last time I thought it was a big storm. It really wasn't a big storm. It didn't turn out to be a big deal. It blew over and we were able to get there. Thank you for that, Lord. You, you've always been faithful. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. You're so good, God. And what do you want me to do now about this that I'm facing? How many of us ever take time to stop in the midst of the storm, and go, God, what do you want? What's your perspective about the storm, and what do you want me to do? See, that's moving from anxiety and fear to the prayer and presence. God, I worship you, and I honor you, and I honor your leadership over my life and your wisdom. What do you want me to do? What's your perspective of the storm? Full speed ahead, son. Are you sure? Okay. We're about to build some trust on this one. (laughs) It's an opportunity, isn't it? Are we good? Worry never produces good fruit. The other thing I think that we often do is we get confused about what waiting looks like. How many people need a job to keep food on the table? I don't know, that's not the right way to say it. How many of you have a job? Maybe I'll say it that way. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> you got a little bit of one. It's working out. <laughs> That's because he's in the middle, in the wilderness, trusting. Yeah, yeah. We can identify with jobs. What happens if you lose your job? What do you do? <laughs> Sometimes people, they, they believe like, oh, you know, I'm the pastor, he said, I'm supposed to trust God. And, and their method of trusting God, their method of waiting on God, is to is to sit their butts on the couch and play Xbox. Man, your wife out there bringing home the bacon, and she's coming home to a dirty, filthy, stank house. You know what I mean? And you're like, hang on, babe, just a second, just one more second. I'm gonna get them. You know, hey, did you put out any resumes today? Uh, no, I'm trusting God. Oh yeah, you trusting God? All right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. It's my belief that we've got to give God something to breathe on. You know, I don't just I don't sit back and do nothing. I don't sit back on the couch and squander an opportunity. I'm going to put myself out there. It's like, when was the last time you updated your resume? Uh, 1992? Yeah, it might be time to update your resume, man. Like, hello, just think through the normal stuff, partner with God. Obviously, if the Holy Spirit tells you, no, sit and wait, don't do anything. You're a son and a daughter. You've got to do what Jesus says to do. In the absence of that word, you've got to step in there and give God something to breathe on. And I think that's what we see in the next verse here, verse 12. It says, now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very, very rich wealthy. Now, most scholars believe that this was actually in the middle of the famine. Who in their right mind is going to step out into their backyard and start sowing seed in a dusty old field when there's no water to irrigate, there's no anything? Who would sow in a famine? It doesn't make any natural sense. Unless you're partnering with the God of the impossible. But here's what I want you to notice. Isaac didn't just sit on the couch hoping the plants would grow. What you doing, brother? Well, I'm waiting on those plants to grow out there. They had not, not a doggone thing has sprung up. It's really weird. Have you cultivated the soil? Did you plant anything? No. Okay, all right. You, know, you might want to start there. You might want to start there. This was a combination of him doing what he knew to do But doing it in faith that God was gonna show up and release the blessing of heaven. See, God had already had a promise. He said, You're gonna stay here in this hard place, and you're gonna trust me for something supernatural. The promise that I gave to your Father is going to be revealed in you. Do you trust me? He says, Yes, Lord, I trust you, and I'm gonna partner with you in faith that if you're gonna, like if you're calling me into the land of promise to release the promise, I'm gonna partner with you in faith that you're gonna show up even in this impossible desert season. Even in this place of wilderness, when I can't see anything, when it doesn't make any natural sense, I'm going to stay, I'm going to obey, I'm going to worship, I'm going to pray, I'm going to advance, I'm going to do what I know to do, I'm going to give you something to breathe on, I'm going to sow out there in that field. Even when people think that I'm crazy old Noah, building a boat, nobody's ever seen a boat before. I'm going to continue to do what you've called me to do, what you've asked me to do, what you've laid upon my heart. I'm going to do it in faith, trusting that you're going to show up and that you're going to do something extravagant. It might be hard now, but it's going to be amazing in the end. And this is the other thing that we do. We not only have an opportunity to trust God in the beginning and to obey the, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I'll do that we then get an opportunity to step into trust in the in-between. Now, I I don't know about all you, and maybe if I thought hard enough, I could recall a single incident in my entire life. But for me, you want to know how God's worked with me? He said, go this way, I'm going to do this thing. And I go that way, and I'm like, why aren't you doing that thing? Four years later... When we were on the mission field many years ago, God said, I'm sending you home to minister to your own people. We took 18 months to shed the responsibilities that we had on the field and to pray and seek God and fast and ask him, what are you saying? What are we supposed to do? We came to the conclusion we were supposed to come home and pastor. God was saying I was supposed to be a pastor. (laughs) News to me. I came home and I'm like, all right, man. I'm off the field. I'm into the pastorate. Eight or nine months later, unemployed in my mom's basement. (laughs) My my in-law's basement, basically. Um, And I can't hear God. I don't know what's going on. McDonald's won't even hire me. Pizza Hut wouldn't hire me. They kept saying, you're overqualified. I thought, what does that even mean? I got babies and light bills. I'm like, what does it mean to be overqualified? Like eight or nine months in, I said, Lord, is this what you had in mind? Now, I don't know about you, but I I often don't find the promise of God to be immediate. See, I I find that there's oftentimes a wilderness in between Egypt and the promised land. (laughs) So I have an opportunity to to trust God in that, hey, here we go. We didn't get there near fast enough, God. (laughs) What is this in between stuff? I thought you said, oh, I did say, do you trust me? So we trust God at the onset, but we trust God in the grand in between as it continues to build faith and history with us so that we can accomplish the things that are necessary when we cross that threshold into that grand thing called the promise. It's not easy, but he hadn't called us to easy. More than likely, it's hard, but it is worth it. What do you think would have happened to Isaac had he not gone into Egypt, or excuse me, had he, had he gone into Egypt? What do you think would have happened to him? You know what I think? I think think he'd have taken his family into Egypt. Probably would have got him a job. Probably would have been all right. Probably would have put food on the table. Probably would have weathered the storm that was the famine. You know what I mean? Life probably would have been okay. But if he was going to go to Egypt instead of obey the voice of God and to pursue the promise that God had put on his heart. He was going to forfeit the promise to the next generation. Say, ah, he might have been okay. He probably had been okay. God's really generous. He, he allows the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. But he would have forfeited his promise. Listen, there are battles that you and I are supposed to face in our generation. And God has called us to win those battles in our generation. If you don't win those battles, if you don't live this life where you're stepping out onto the water and you're building that history of trust with God, you're going to pass those battles on to the next generation. And they're going to have to fight your battles. I don't know about you, but I don't want my kids fighting any battle that I was supposed to win while I was still alive. I want to set them up for success. I don't want to have to set them up to fight my battles. I don't want to be the guy wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because I refused to take down the giants that God said I was going to take down and leave it for them to do it. The other thing I was praying between services, I was just thinking, you know, the other thing is this, we're not only living generationally, we're living for eternity. And how many of you know if Isaac had gone on to Egypt, he'd have to stand before Father God and give an account for that. Son, do you know what you did? But you blessed me. I had a decent life. Yeah, you know what? But you forfeited the promise. And you pushed off the, the timeline. and you like, You're going to be held account for what you've done. For what kind of a steward you were with what God gave you. Are we going to bury it in the backyard? Because we knew this thing was going to be hard. We, we, we knew that like that wilderness between the Egypt, like it'd just be better to go to Egypt. Like that's burying it in the backyard. Or are we going to tackle it? Are we going to step out and take risk and go, man, if I invest what's on my life, there's going to be a risk on that. I could fail. People could come against me. I could, you know, whatever it is. But there's only one of those two who gets to stand before the Father when it's all done and said, and hear him utter those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's only one of those who he says, and I'll give you much because you've been faithful over the little bit. Man, the other one, the other one in that parable didn't go so well. So Isaac might have done okay. They have eternity to pay for it. I don't mean he's going to go to hell necessarily. (laughs) I just mean he'll never have what God had actually laid up for him to get. For an eternity. Eternity is a pretty long time, would you agree? How many of you know this isn't the end all right here? This isn't what we're living for. We're living for something bigger than this. You know, and we have to begin to live like it. And we have to be willing to step into the hard in between. To give God something to empower and breathe on so that he can do abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. And not just flee to Egypt and do the comfortable. Does this make sense? All right. Father, we ask that you would continue to breathe on our lives, that you would empower us to be the kind of people who live by faith and who step out in trust, who take you at your word, who hear you and who obey and risk. We want to be mighty men and women. We want to do everything that you have laid to our account for this season of our life. We don't want to miss it to the left or to the right. And we just declare right now, we trust you to get us through. We trust your promises over our life. We trust that you're not only the God of the beginning, but you're the God of the destination. You're the God of the in-between. You're not the God who leaves us in the crazy middle wilderness, but you're the God who leads us the God who never leaves us or forsakes us. We receive your empowerment this morning to do all that you've called and equipped us to do and are equipping us to do in our future. We trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our future. We trust you with our kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.